Hello, everyone. It's time to eat, drink, and be merry with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio. We're going to eat, drink, and be merry in the urban lands. We're going to go foraging. We're so excited to have anthropologist, herbalist, and expert forager say that 10 times real fast, Lisa Mm -hmm. M. Rose on the show. And we love Lisa's here on Big Blend Radio, don't we, Nancy? No, of course. (laughs) I know. It's the best name. You named me Lisa, and we have another Lisa joining us. And I love that she's an urban forager. And her last name is Rose. I mean, come on, this is perfect. We can eat roses, you know. So she is the author of what is just this exquisite book. It's called Urban Foraging, Find, Gather, and Cook 50 Wild Plants. It's out through Timber Press, and Timber Press is awesome. We've we've really covered a lot of their books on the shows, and it's out now. Now, go to Lisa's website. It's burdockandrose.com. Go figure. That rose is in there. So welcome, Lisa. How are you? Fantastic. And thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about plants, food, and anything that Mm. comes in between those two subjects. I'm excited because of the anthropology side of it, because, Mm. you know, we look at civilization came from farming, right? Isn't that part of that? And then, I, you know, Nancy and I were talking because we've lived in different countries and most of our half of our lives have been in, in Kenya and South Africa. Mm. And so when you talk about anthropology, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Nancy, who did we have our, as, as our neighbors? Uh, the Leakeys. Oh, Louis Leakey. The Leakey family. Yeah. Philip oh, Louis Leakey. And Mary Leakey. Cool. And- yeah, humans have been growing up alongside plants for as, oh. as long, across space and time for, for many, many moons. And mm-hmm. it's a, a passion of mine and, and actually, Academically, mm. was my my training based in anthropology with a focus actually on food systems and uh, how our, our how um, farming has has changed civilization and how we've mm. changed uh, you know farming in return. Mm. So yes, that's a that's a, been a core for my my academic career uh, with well, food. Living in Africa, if you want to talk about foraging, where um, Way of life. when where when we were there. Yeah, when yeah, uh, most of the population did forage for their food. They hunted and they foraged for their food. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the um, indigenous people. And um, it, you learned something from them, especially when you hired them as uh, cooks in your house and such. And they would bring in herbs that they went and got, and down and, the street. Yeah, and you know things that we didn't know until they taught us. I remember cool. telling Nancy as a kid, I used to eat these little black berries that they taught me. Um, mm-hmm. I had black friends that would, you know, I mean, on our way home from school, we didn't go to the candy store; mm-hmm. we were eating from the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And there were these blackberries, and I keep telling Nancy, it's their lant- It was lantana. Mm-hmm. And lantana, I don't, and I don't know what it is that I was eating, but it looks, it's like the lantana plant that had blackberries on it, and but, I can taste it. It's almost licorice. Ah, that's delicious. But uh, lantana, you know, that's, it's poisonous too. I know, but what, what is, what, what is? Do you I'm know what I'm sure talking about, Lisa? I'd have to, I'd have to see the plant and know Me specifically too. <laughs> where you're from, <laughs> where where you were at the time. But I think that you bring up a couple of points that. 
uh, most of the world outside the United States and you know Western culture in general mm. still has a strong connection to where their food comes from. They have you know many communities, mm-hmm. Latin America, South America, Asia, mm-hmm. you know Africa. You know we there are there are traditions that continue to incorporate. Um, the plants that go just grow just outside their their doorstep into both you know just the culinary tradition and also herbal medicine, and you know for for us as Westerners, we're we're about three generations removed mm-hmm. from really being reliant on the natural world for subsistence and for for healthcare, and I think that um, urban foraging I think is just my way of really. You know, it's my third book with Timber Press, um, but specifically oh, aimed wow. at an urban audience mm. um, to, to nudge at the edges, to reconnect people to, you know, that, that nature is nearby. It's not necessarily mm. out at, you know, the uh, national park or state park or even your. Yeah, you don't want to forage in a national park. You'll get in mm-hmm. trouble. National <laughs> forest, maybe you can do it. I mean, that's what we do is, is, mm. is parks and and. There's lines on that depending on who, what, and where, and, and it, it is absolutely, different. absolutely. There are rules, and um, in urban foraging, I do really double click into the the um, the rules that you do need to know about. You know, mm-hmm. the municipal parks, the state parks. Um, you know, all have not only um, rules of what can be harvested, and 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 in some places you can harvest berries and nuts and, and whatnot if you're, you know, camping or backcountry. Again, depends on the place and the organization. But mm-hmm. it's also quite important to, to understand the history of use of the land because mm-hmm. you may have permission, but it's not necessarily um, safe to, to exactly. gather. So yeah, that's that, something that's... that that's a huge part, I think, when you, you your introduction into the book, you give all these this list of like, be careful of this, 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 this. Mm-hmm. And we've done shows, um, Rita Kopelnetsky, she's since passed, and she wrote a book about Agent Orange. And mm-hmm. she said, never live near a rail yard, railroad mm-hmm. tracks, because yes. the chemicals spill. And she had a child that was born deformed because of Agent Orange and her husband fighting in Vietnam. And, sure. and so it went down and down and down. But mm. but going back to your book at the beginning, I, I was reading all these things and it could kind of throw you off. You think, oh, I'm going to go out foraging. Now here's this list of things you really need to know, which mm-hmm. I think are so important. Mm-hmm. But your list of things, what I think is so cool on this really big positive is that we're going to learn our surroundings and how much of your community is contaminated. Just think about it, you know? Yes. How uh, is your backyard safe, quite frankly? Yep. Well, and I think, uh, you know, especially having origins in Flint, Michigan, which now we know yeah. um, mm-hmm. many communities have followed the, the Flint water crisis. You know, it's it, our, our land has a history of use, what, industrial, agricultural, and I, I do focus on historical um, prehistory is you know, a lighter footprint, another matter entirely. But, you know, really it's important wherever you are to really understand, orient yourself to place and ask yourself, okay, do I know what's transpired here? And as a, a longtime urban uh, gardener, um, you know, knowing how to order soil tests, work with my extension agency, you know, I think that 
communities were smarter about lead and food production and arsenic. Um, you mentioned railroad tracks, mm -hmm. that's my framework of consideration. Um, you know, that's mm -hmm. it, it's as a, an urban gardener, I might soil test, but as a forager, if I'm, you know, walking through my neighborhood or downtown along my river, you know, I, I'm not carrying a soil test with me or driving my, you know, a creepy right. van full of equipment testing, you know, in the neighborhood. Um, yeah. You know, I have to rely on data points and inputs for me to say, okay, I know that I'm on the river and historically up and down, you know, we'll use the Grand River, for example, in, in Grand Rapids, we're furniture city, USA, right? So for 120 years, we'd been making furniture and that, you know, paint factories Yikes. and lacquers and, and, mm. and whatnot of all, mm. you know, there, we have those legacy chemicals in, in the riverways, you know? And I think that that doesn't mean, however, I'd, I'd throw all of it, you know, the baby out with the bathwater, preferably right. speaking. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, it's, it's a reference point for me. There are some, you know, if I was walking by and I noticed June berries or crab apples, you know, growing along, you know, in a landscaped area, if I knew I had permission to, to do some snacking, you know, and if it just rained, I, I wouldn't be so concerned with the, um, you know, the, 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 the data point that it's, you know, had been Furniture City and there was a paint factory up, up the street. I'd be more concerned around harvesting roots, harvesting greens, those plants that, um, and foods that we eat for mineral density. Those plants are also going to take up lead, right? If they take up iron, right. they take up calcium, they take up mm -hmm. phosphorus, they're going to take up the arsenic, they're going to take up the lead. And so that's, that's again, I, I, consider the book um, and as well in my other my other uh, writings for foraging having a framework to understand the history of use to understand uh, start to get to really understand how the plants up um, take up the nutrients and the minerals mm -hmm. and then again these are these are data points for me they're input me to make a decision whether or not you know it's like for me going into a sushi restaurant when I was pregnant for my children. Did I eat sushi? Yes, I ate sushi. I made it an informed choice. I drank espresso and an occasional glass of red wine. So really, there's good for you. Yeah. <laughs> I was I just going to go, you life. bad bad girl. <laughs> no, no, but then, but this is, but I love this because, again, I just feel like you're connecting people to their community and, and making us look at how healthy is our community if we can't. Yeah. You know, eat the daylily. Like daylilies are one of those that it's actually something we've been talking about, Nancy and I, for a while. Over the last year, we went from like Arkansas through Oklahoma. Uh, we, I mean, we travel the country literally, and there were these really almost like red, red daylilies, and we're like, "What's going on with this?" And then we started like, "Why?" Everybody has them on the front of their yards. Like, what's going on? There's like a, everybody wants a daylily thing, you know. It was a fashion I, statement. But I know, I, but no, but there was something, and it turned out that they actually became invasive in all these communities. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can eat mm -hmm. them, and uh -huh. daylilies are cool, and no. most landscapers for cities use them mm -hmm. because of the low water usage. But in your book, you talk about you can eat them, and, and we've talked about that on shows before, about them being edible. So it's like, okay, but, you know, when you start going into city areas, okay, this is really pretty, we're doing this, but are they edible in a municipality 
roadway like in the sure. you don't want to go to the median of a highway yeah. yeah you know well and the interesting what i've learned and what I, I and part of it perhaps is you know as we age we learn things aren't black and white right it's a, a spectrum no. of mm -hmm. color and you know i think that for me um you know i do want to democratize food democratize health and and help people connect immediately to you know to be able to to gather plants and make beautiful foods with them and enjoy enjoy life but you know and also again i think you, you had used the phrase um to stop and and i'll add the words consider and and start to reflect on some of these deeper um questions right that we're so used to being able to be, go on autopilot and go into the grocer and pick mm -hmm. out foods, which I'm going to put in air quotes, have been deemed safe. And, you know, mm -hmm. I've worked in food for, for the majority, if not most, all of my, my professional career. And, you know, pesticides mm -hmm. on your lawn and pesticides on conventional agricultural product, you know, I, I go to toe-to-toe, -to -toe, I'm, I'm actually going to guess that there's a heavier pesticide residual on the conventional agricultural product that mm -hmm. we get at, at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. So for me, again, it's it's about a framework. It builds conversation. I, I approach this as an opportunity to really ask more questions. In fact, I leave with more questions than answers frequently, mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's at the end of the day, I, I don't want people feeling despondent or that there's a lack of hope because of all that we've done to this point rather conversely to be em empowered and emboldened to say we got to do something about this we've got to right. you know even if it's within the, my own corner of my backyard or front yard even right i want to start Absolutely. to cultivate a diverse ecosystem that's regenerative that adds value back to the ecosystem not just extracts nutrients well i think this is so huge because it's also um so like we we talk about this on the show all the time that to not have dead space dead dead zones mm. in our in our communities so we have in the ocean we have these dead zones from mm -hmm. oil spills and etc mm -hmm. etc et but we are doing that in our communities by paving things off but if we garden for wildlife, half of those herbs mm -hmm. that we can garden for wildlife and birds are actually herbs and things that we can use as humans. We're also losing herbs. Really, um, th there there are certain herbs, depending on where you live, that are going extinct if, and we can grow them that mm -hmm. are part of healing, natural mm -hmm. healing. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an important thing that we could look at doing. And also, what do we plant in our parks and communities. I've seen that movement right. also being like, right. hey, maybe we want to plant things that someone walking down the street can pick an apple and eat it. And there's yeah. nothing like a fresh apple right off the tree, yeah. nothing. Yeah, edible, I, edible landscapes, permaculture, I think having engagement across, um, I, th I love what you mentioned, you know, working with the park system. You know, I, I love working with my, my parks and recs teams mm -hmm. across at the, at the local and state levels, you know, it helps us work in concert to create um, ecosystems that are, you know, again, just to have a, a, a depth to them that that they might not otherwise have and and then doing it in a way that brings people in and have, you know, it's an opportunity to have new stakeholders at the table, right to help 
understand the history of, of the parks and the role of, um, you know, how what we consider invasives, how did it get here? Who brought it here? Usually humans brought it there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Over. So <laughs> Pretty how, much. We, how are we implicated in this, right? And it's, mm. for me, it's this ongoing conversation and opportunity for learning that I think is, is really powerful and can be transformational, especially to, um, those of us living in cities where we feel so, mm -hmm. you know, held up by the concrete and not connected to each other and, and mm -hmm. a sense of disconnection, right? I think um, people will say, oh, well, you, you included the crab apples and the brambles with the blackberries in your book. Isn't that cheating? And I'd say not if you're in the city and you have no idea what these plants are. It is not cheating. You don't even know what it is because lilacs, lilacs, people you know, have lilacs in their backyard. Lilac, many of our plants that are used even in landscaping have edible use, right? And medicinal mm -hmm. properties. And so for me, it's it's really shifting, helping shift that narrative um, to those of us that haven't ever looked at our landscape in that in that way or had an opportunity, right? There's there's an element of exposure too that when you're in the city, you know, being in, in the Great Lakes and in Grand Rapids or Flint, Detroit, you know, there are folks and kids that had never been out to Lake Michigan, for example, from Grand Rapids. They've never seen the wow. big lake. Wow. Yeah, it's, a th you know, living in California, That's, working in wow. Berkeley. Kids mm -hmm. hadn't been out to, you know, Marit like Yosemite or Muir Woods. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. We're not even going to Yosemite. We're just talking across the bay, right? It's not. Yeah, sorry. Right. <laughs> sorry. Sometimes even your neighborhood park. Yes. Yeah, you know? and there's lots of conceptions and misconceptions and fear and mistrust, and it, it, it's it's um, systematic and it's you know kind of come across time that we have these relationships with outdoor spaces, and so with urban foraging, it's it's again it's just that I, I said even in you know the the dedication to the book and to the peoples of Flint, um, prehistoric historic. And, and fear residents, you know, mm. may we come together to have these difficult conversations and 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 come to solutions on how we're going to fix fix some things that are are um, in benefit of both the ecology and and us humans that live there. You know, there's one place that Lisa and I lived where um, we had our own backyard garden, and we were attempting to garden, and it took us several attempts because soil, soil testing, what it was, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It had been kind of depleted or contaminized or whatever. And we noticed that, remember Lisa, um, the birds that we had a bird feeder and the birds all like had these little like tumors Dead or grubs. nodules mm -hmm. on their legs. And, and their face. And their face around their bill. And mm -hmm. we're like, wow, we've never seen that before. And then we started thinking, well, yeah, we have a garden. Um, do we really want to eat the food that we're growing here? Because what's going on with the soil here? What's happening here? Is it We did it, though. We did it. We worked hard. We, we transformed. Really hard. We transformed that place. And people would yeah, stop at did. our garden. And we use native plants in the front. Yeah. We had mul a mulberry tree, right? So mm -hmm, mulberry right. trees is one of those mm -hmm. that you can do. We grew a lot of natives and ones that were resistant. We were in the high desert 
outside mm-hmm. Joshua Tree National Park. Mm-hmm. And the house that we had purchased was the person when we bought it, <laughs> we bought it from the owner. And he went around cutting down the desert primrose, telling me, here's these weeds you need to take out. I'm like, stop right there. Stop it. Stop cutting this and we're not buying the house. You know, and and the Daytura, which actually, by the way, Daytura is really cool. But don't smoke it. Don't do that, everybody. (laughs) Don't smoke that. You know what? Nancy pulled her back gardening and and it was the one thing in the bathtub. It's the one thing. You take a leaf or two of Daytura and put it in hot bath water. Don't drink it, eat it, or chew on it. But if you put it in bath water, your muscle aches go away real fast. And, and I don't I'm know if that's saying. legally good or not. But anyway, I'm oh, just sorry. saying in case. But we balanced this ecosystem of <laughs> natives. And then we grew our own vegetables. And like we, we did cantaloupe amongst yes. native flowers like Daytura mm. and stuff. And it was the best mm-hmm. cantaloupe. And we changed the soil, getting the toxins of this house. Had yeah. basically still had these toxins from when they built it, yeah. And so we had to redo the soil, and that's what we can do. But you're talking about urban foraging, which is really interesting, you know. Because with in regards how do you to you know even what you're picking, like you can know the plant, but do you know the soil that the yeah. plant is in? Well, that and that too is is one of the, the you know as part of a framework. To, mm. to understand, you know, if you're gathering roots or gathering green leafy greens from an area that you're not certain you haven't tested and have a suspicion that it's, 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 uh, you know, contaminated mm-hmm. with lead or, or other, other um, contaminants that, you know, if in doubt, don't harvest there. Yeah. So that's, that's actually the, you know, there's, there is that reality of, you know, and at the end of the day, if you can't make it come to a decision with, with a, a high degree of certainty, um, then it's, you know, whether favorable plant ID, you know, I do cover, um, basic botany in the, in the book, mm-hmm. but because I'm covering so many different regions, it's really a prerequisite or a requisite to have mm-hmm. a, a regional guide that's specific, yeah. whether it's the high desert, the great lakes, Pennsylvania, California, Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest, Florida, like those are all very different regions where, you know, the, the genus and species might look different right where it's showing up for you and Mm oh yes and you talk about like don't just think you know the plant you want it to be this plant but i know how that is you want to identify this i'm on like i naturalist and all of that and then you go no it's this i know it's this and then people go no it's not yeah what do you mean it's (laughs) not and at the and and that's a lifelong journey and and lifelong learning right like as you continue that's a beauty it's so much fun of it but also, I always say, you know, if you don't know what it is, don't put it in your mouth. It's like you yeah, know, I, working with my, I, my kids. <laughs> yeah, don't yeah, but this is true. the beauty of your book. I really love it because you really are connecting people with the land. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's farming. There's there's things like when we lived in Julian up in the mountains in San Diego, there was mm-hmm. miners lettuce clover mm-hmm. that was growing wild like and, tr- mm-hmm. and apples. Uh, and it's an apple, you know, but that was what we planted. What do you think about people changing their front yards to be edible for other people walking down the street to have food? What do you think about that concept? Would that well, go away from the foraging? Not at all. I think um, I'm going to unpack the, the the scenario that you just set up. I think cultivating wherever you live, cultivating a biodiverse habitat for food, for birds, for pollinators, and for people is is beautiful. And also, I think that that's really what 
the book I want pe to nudge people toward, right? Is to really cultivate, work mm -hmm. on cultivating diverse habitats. Um, you know, doing it within a community, I think that, you know, it depends on on how, you know, your community or neighborhood is set up. I, I think that there's wonderful ways to um, set up collaborative gardens, shared gardens, you know, if you're, you're feeding your community, uh, um, now that's, I think it's one thing to grow food and then have it, um, you know, picked by somebody that doesn't necessarily have permission or, mm. uh, you know, agreements, yeah. but those types of situations can be, I think, actually both navigated and, um, created to be positive experiences, mm -hmm. right? The commute from a community building perspective, mm -hmm. you know, New York, I've got, um, I do quite a bit of colleagues in New York and, in many neighborhoods, you know, you've got small, small community gardens where, you know, you've got five, six, seven buildings on the block of folks, you know, con contributing and sharing. And it, it creates an opportunity for exchange, right? Exchange, not just of produce, but ideas and, and to, and to build relationships. I know for me, I, I've always had a garden um, when my children were little up until, you know, for my first house for almost 12, 13 years, my garden was in the front yard because the backyard mm. just did, there wasn't room. Mm. And uh, it, it begat lots of conversations and curiosity and questions and moments for, you know, sharing, intergenerational sharing. One, one lady, she's, she's now no longer with us, but she was in her late 80s. This is probably 2002, 2000, 2003. Oh. You know, she remembered the victory gardens of World War II, mm -hmm. right? She was mm -hmm. able to connect in that way. Um, yeah. She didn't prefer the aesthetic. That's another matter, right? She preferred her Kentucky bluegrass, and which was very, very well manicured. But she, she could understand um, what I was doing with it, which was using it to feed my family, right? I was using the food, and my kids were mm -hmm. in the garden and, and gathering produce and and whatnot. So you know, I look at that moment, that exchange with, with my neighbor and it's a win, right? It develops a relationship mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. conversation from just Nancy, that Nancy did the similar thing with her front yard in, mm -hmm. in California. That's, it was, I, I don't know it if was I was funny. even born then, right? Mm -hmm. Tore and, out the you lawn. Know, my grandmother was, she, she lived through the depression and she taught me, this is how you garden. This is what you do. You, and she she always had this um, whatever you plant 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 it three times because you need one for God one for nature and mm. one for yourself mm -hmm. and That's and yeah that was her you know her outtake on it and she grew vegetables at the very back of her property she also grew a patch out the front. And then the lawn came after the one patch that she said was her way of giving back. So that anybody who was walking by could take a tomato, take a cucumber, whatever was there at the time. And she grew it for that. And then she, she really got excited when somebody took something. And she was like, this is cool. You know, I'm, I'm helping somebody. It was her uh, way of I do see in, in urban communities, um, yeah, churches, actually churches, um, synagogues, mosques in Grand Rapids specifically. Um, I, you know, we have multiple places of worship where 
there are community gardens and it is actually based on, you know, the, the gleaning, leaving the corners mm -hmm. for gleaning, um, mm. you know, integrating again, um, tenets of faith. And it, mm -hmm. in, in my opinion, if that's the way you want to go about it, that's fine. It works. You're feeding uh, yeah. the animals, you're feeding the people, you're, you're, you know, yeah. you're contributing yeah. to the yeah. common good. And, you know, I think that again, in the city, we, we immediately, um, there's this, this idea of like, oh my gosh, how could these things coexist foraging and gardening and, and greening, you know, green space and, mm. and growing your own food. But you know, the, the, the reality is there's a lot of opportunity. It just requires a little bit of, of um, elbow grease and, you know, a little bit of uh, watching, mm. paying attention, using all of our senses to look at what is and what's possible. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, when we were in Arizona, we really have lived everywhere. <laughs> Apparently, that's why we're, we are gypsies. And I'm looking at your gypsy tea in your book, too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I need that. Um, but when, when um, what's, what's interesting is I, I have, in Arizona, we have mesquite trees, right? Where we oh, were. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so people would go and harvest the mesquite beans. Mm -hmm. And there were flour, not flour mills, but people would mill them to ground them yeah to make them into flour so that was a cultural thing too so i think part of what you're doing you talk about elderberry in your book too mm -hmm. and elderberry to me takes me back to when we lived in england there was this thing about elderberry and elderberry wine and mm -hmm. dandelion mm -hmm. wine. listen i have to ask this i'm sorry but uh -huh. i'm going to be childish <laughs> Because I know it's the first thing a lot of us look at. Okay, we're going to go urban foraging. We've been taught now that dandelions are good, right? Whenever I see dandelions anywhere in the city, I go, you're doing something good. You're not killing the dandelions. They're good for our soil, good for us. But then you harvest the dandelions. How do you know if a dog peed on that dandelion? I have to go there. I know it's childish, but I'm going there because you know people are thinking it. That's very that's. I, that yes. actually is a very, very um, practical question. I actually get quite a bit. And mm -hmm. my rule of thumb is, you know, I don't really gather. I, I actually just don't at all about, you know, three feet on either side of the sidewalks, you know, it, outside of bars and restaurants. Absolutely not. Even if it's a gardening <laughs> container. No, by trees. <laughs> like, nothing. Don't do, that. By trees. <laughs> don't do it by the fire hydrants. <laughs> yeah, no fire hydrants. They, no fire hydrants. No the head of they the really do trails. like the fire hydrants. I mean, we pets it as we travel but, across but the country. And do... I can tell you fire hydrants are really real but, for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You... And it's Go ahead. You do wash things, even if you get them at the grocery store. You, you do wash, wash. Well, yeah, you things. do wash them. Some things, though, don't. I mean, it's like when I I do talk about, um, you know, understanding the waterways and where you mm -hmm. are upstream or downstream. There are some things, you know, here in in Michigan, we have, you know, well, same with California, many places, ag lots of ag runoff mm -hmm. in in into our water if, if you're downstream from a dairy farm after a rain oh. and you're you know looking mm -hmm. at gathering mm -hmm. elder or not elderberries but um, nettles mm -hmm. right or something that would be that would have wet feet cattails or mm -hmm. uh, you know cattail roots um, you know I think that it's it's important to understand when washing isn't good enough right you're not you mm -hmm. from a you know yeah. whether yeah. it's e coli whether it's salmonella mm -hmm. like sure. these are real potential sure contaminants, um, sewage, wastewater treatment plants. Um, you know, again, I, I, these are just those, th those large yeah. 
large infrastructure pieces that we just want to just be aware of, right? Mm -hmm. But that's what I say was so cool. Like cool about your book is you're making us look at our land, our community, the land in our community in a different way. If it's not Mm -hmm. good enough to eat, we need to look at cleaning our environment. And then at the same time, you're giving us recipes and you talk about nettles in here. Nettles from what I've learned is that nettles are good for our body health-wise, especially for women and for calming Mm -hmm. down and all kinds of nettles are healthy. So you Mm -hmm. want them to be as pristine as you can get them, right? And I don't know many people. (laughs) You have nettles. I don't think I've ever had a nettle. But you make nettle like risotto. Nettle yes, risotto. Nancy like loves risotto. You're going to like oh, this nettle risotto. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah. Then, like but then I'm looking at the catnip and I want to have. Oh, Nancy catnip. wants the catnip. I want the catnip with dark rum with like we're in a house now where we have like 10 cats. 10 cats. And <laughs> well, I, I mean, love... you have to fight your cats with that. I, I, can't I know. I want to have catnip with the cats. Mm. <laughs> no, but I want to go to the acorn bread too. The mm. acorn now we did actually used to grow catnip for our cats and yeah and one cat nelson yeah. when we lived in south africa oh my gosh he, so he was funny. a rescue that actually just landed like mm-hmm. he, that's a whole other story but nancy he he was not mm-hmm. a he, he was part lynx man he was he was yeah. like a wild cat and he mm-hmm. was mean but he was sweet but mean yeah and depending nancy <laughs> planted catnip for him and he went and that was his catnip don't get near him he sat by it all day long that was was if you walked by it he growled exactly it's supposed to make him happy and silly but then it becomes this is my my catnip and get off of it don't look at it don't touch it this is my catnip yeah it was it was a big deal but (laughs) um i I remember a beautiful, you know, even thinking about the cat and that mm. the ownership that he ended up taking over that little that little spot of garden. It was and, and awesome. yes, there's that it is awesome. And I think, yeah. you know, you even if you know, even as gardeners, you know, it mm. just generates this source of of pride and and it was you, cool. you do feel, yeah, you do feel ownership over mm. it. Granted, cats and catnip have a diff, a little, a little more intense relationship, even. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, it does make me think of of just how you know, watching kids garden and at the mm. schoolyard gardening that I've done across my career, like they just mm. develop this sense of connection oh, to so awesome. the plants that is mm-hmm. just. It, it, it's so it's so from a human evolution perspective it's just like it it taps into something very old ancient and feral that has existed with us across time and space mm-hmm. and it's it's what i do love making it when it's delicious like that and you can lure folks in you know with the acorn bread i, I call that mm. my gateway forager snack that mm. And when, yeah. you know, once I share with folks, you know, that there's acorn flour used in my banana bread. And of course, after I vet to make sure no one's allergic to nuts, um, mm. it, they're just, they're just amazed. And kids would just be like, no way, Miss Rose, there are acorns mm. in this. And I'd be like, yeah. yeah, dude, there are acorns in that. But, but that's, <laughs> but that's, but that's a huge it, deal. Like, it is you know, I'll go back to deal. when we lived in Julian, because that's what your, your book really took us back to this because. You have your regular gardens, but what was growing in the woods and everything was something we could take. And even if you went mm. by a farmer's 
plot and there was a tree hanging with apples, he would be cool with you taking an apple. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because if he's not harvesting it at that point, eat it. You know, it, it's yeah. it's good on this day. You know what I mean? And um, it was just, you know, there was wild grapes growing. And the birds would really get them, but you'd get a few grapes and you could eat them. Mm. You know, and it's like, and you know, people made wine or made oh, what sure. they needed with it. There was elderberry there. Miner's lettuce. Like we, people made salads with miner's lettuce, you know? Well, and and to was... me that... And acorns were a thing. Now, if you go to the indigenous peoples and they make you things with acorns, you may not want, like, you may have a hard time tasting that in, in the way we're, we're all raised. You know, if you're not indigenous mm-hmm. people, you may not enjoy the acorns. Nancy, you've done that mm-hmm. um, out in, in Julian at that time. But, mm-hmm. but the acorn bread, now for the rest of us, that might be something that is a you know, the gateway to the acorn. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, and I think you bring up a, a good point in that our palates are, um, have been acclimated at, to two two flavors, two flavor profiles, sweet and salty, mm-hmm. right? I knew it. Uh, Here salt it is. and vinegar yeah. chips mm-hmm. and, yeah. and glazed donuts, yeah. both of which mm-hmm. I love. But that is not, those two flavors are not regularly occurring in nature. Uh, flavors in nature yeah so yeah. i mean the most sweet you might get would be a maple syrup or you know a cane a cane a cane cane yeah. sugar mm-hmm. but you know and salt wise it would be you know perhaps um you know seaweeds Ooh. right if you're gonna yeah. have uh a, a, yeah. a, on that on that Kelp. salty profile yeah but, but on the whole in, in the united states especially we you know, bitter flavors, bitter greens, bitter herbs, the um, arugula, in my opinion, is mm-hmm. is not bitter, or it has a spicy flavor. But the, the endives and the chicories, um, you know, those aren't really uh, a fit with the American palate, because we just don't eat that way any longer, mm-hmm. right? You go to Europe, endives are mm-hmm. on the plates, right? At chicory salad is something that's very common throughout Northern Europe. It, it's just something that we're no longer um used to and, in our and you can drink chicory it, root it's too. true but mm-hmm. it, you know it's it's really true like one house that we purchased um everybody down the street had a circular driveway and a lawn and i pulled the lawn up and the neighbors got really upset and i put in native plants and flowers and wildflowers I, yeah wildflowers and they really got angry because I disturbed the look of the circular drive with the little grassy manicurization. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I watched them go out, mow the lawn at the end of the week and grumble about it. And I was like, okay, I put in plants and birds came. And it was pretty. It was beautiful. And then people started stopping by and looking at it. And I was like, you know what, the lawn, I, uh, you know, I get it. If Yeah, you want kids to play and dogs to play on it. But I think this is what, what, again, Lisa is talking about is that communication. Right. If we can have that interaction with people, that's a huge thing. If we can have that interaction in gardening, foraging, it makes, I I think the foraging, it's cool if you can, you know, nip and tuck from your neighbors a little bit here and there get the oranges you talk about 
you know, persimmons and things like that too, mm-hmm. you know, that you can mm-hmm. nip and tuck, but it is about kind of going back to our roots. You've, you've, you've opened our minds. Aww, <laughs> you know? I just want to say that this is, thank this you. is so cool. I, I, you know, the recipes in the book are super cool and, you know, you bring in pine, like pine trees, you know, I oh, want to yeah. get into that too, because like, there's so many forests that people can be harvesting because that's what our roots were. We're harvesting. Mm. I wanted to ask you this about, you know, being in anthropology, right? Mm-hmm. When you look at plants, so we've done like so many Native American sites and cliff dwellings, and then they mm-hmm. were growing gardens. Like, so they had their own civilization farming stuff going on and they were really smart about water techniques mm-hmm. and like the waffle art. Have you seen the waffle gardens, you know, like, Oh, how sure. They do, yep. Yep. Right Santa Fe's those, got, yeah, lots. Oh, Santa yep. Fe. Love yeah. It. Go to the rail yeah. yard conserve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rail yard. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the rail yard conservancy park. They have that, they show it and it's like, mm-hmm. wow, like they mm-hmm. were smart, man. And they are yeah. today too. Um, but it, so all of these way they were farming, and they had a filtration system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, but it was like farming, but it wasn't, it's just different in that it is kind of still foraging in a way too, right? With what they were doing. Well, I think that, you know, the in, indigenous knowledge that has existed across time, um, working with just different uh, ways of agriculture, ways of cultivating um, plants and, and working with the immediate uh, available water resources. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that really was the only way to farm until industrialization came along and colonialization came along. And, you know, we developed ways of farming that were input heavy and extractive, mm-hmm. right? We were no longer, there's a shift um, mm-hmm. for 101 reasons. And, you know, fast forward to today where our ag, our global food system is is heavily dependent on trade, tariffs, volume, commodity mm-hmm. crops, mm-hmm. Um, very petroleum based, mm. uh, you know, and I think that we do have, you know, I think, you know, just upstate in, in Traverse City and even, you know, here in the Kalamazoo region, just, you know, northeast of, of Chicago, our tribes are still very alive and well with their um, working knowledge of how to, how to work with the land. It's, I think, restoring mm-hmm. that food sovereignty that was taken from them um, during the treaties in the 1800s. Um, you know, they too have a lot of, a lot of healing to go through because we'd taken away their traditional ways of learning and passing on, um, right. that, and that, that knowledge that, that once was just, just, just was right. That was just how, well, how... They, they, they have ancient knowledge that's been passed down. Correct. They didn't, and they right? didn't, they didn't then, pillage the earth. You know what I mean? No, that's look, kind of the difference that look at Lisa, look what happened in, in Yuma. No. Big Ag went in and they tore down a whole bunch of stuff and they put in one singular crop. They never used to have white fly, but they put in one crop and all of a sudden here comes white fly. Yeah, California now is a huge yep, it, a huge it, center of big ag, big mm-hmm. agriculture. Mm-hmm. And you know, we do see today, you know, we do we're at a tipping point. Um, you know, I think that 
as we look at supply chain, the fragility of the supply mm. chain, the brittleness of um, not just the production, uh, but but also the the water supply, right? Yes. Uh, you know, California. Mm. I moved back to Ooh. Michigan because of the accessibility of water and. Well, um, that's funny because you talk about Flint, but it's true. I mean, the Central uh, California. That ir at, irony. Well, although, <laughs> yeah, I know. Really. But the water, the water Oopsie. issue because of the <laughs> almonds, right? Yeah. It, it is. Salinas, you know, Salinas Valley, the mm -hmm. water table is actually, um, the, the, the soil is, is sinking there in yeah. the valley. And because Have you driven depleting. through Hinkley? Have you been through Hinkley? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. That is, and in your book, you talk about the brown areas. Like the, mm -hmm. the, and that's it. I'm going. This is supposed to be refuge land, and there's, there's, it's, it's dead. dead. And Hinkley, uh, everyone, Aaron Brockovich land, right? Yeah. And yep. when you yep. drive through it, yep. they're going it's through dead. it again. And I'm going. Yeah. How can you be going through this again? How, yeah. Still. Like, <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah. You know. And then you think you go into Rich Grace and all these area mining, right up the do, road. Do you know how long I mean, it takes to earth? to shake off what we've done it's insane yeah so it'll take a while <laughs> it'll take but but yeah. but this is but that's again uh, that's what i love about your book yeah. you're reconnecting us with our roots mm -hmm. and i mean literally right <laughs> but and going hey it should be safe for us to just pick this piece of you know what? mint or persimmon or mm -hmm. pine and, and be able to do it you know um that's how we've lived that's how we ancestrally were and, and we should and and, small and, steps too i think what what yes it's easy to become from you know from my point of view well one despondent two hopeless three overwhelmed mm -hmm. right and so mm -hmm. you know i think for those of us not you know immersed in the food system it's people are just like where do i even start how do i I just want to put oh, dinner on the table. Got recipes. How can I? I mean, this is a cool family project, <laughs> I think, for families and oh, people think... to go out and say, this is a new hobby. I mean, listen, I belong to mushroom groups, okay? I'm weird. And I don't even know what I'm looking at, but they're just so beautiful. And I'm like, and I don't know if I can even pick them. They're so pretty. But, <laughs> you know, so, you know, but you have to be careful and understand, but this is learning your surroundings and your book having these recipes these guidelines you're giving these you know, people hey we can go out and be part of what we're supposed to be but families can learn and kids can go out there with phones and id things it's like this cool project i i really see this as a family project really i know oh a family single garden people in your own family backyard. to do it but awesome. i mean for people to go out in their community maybe walk the landscape the river whatever it is start looking at what you have what is this yeah and that's I, how well, we can communicate with our municipalities too yeah I, I hope and i'm glad that you you see that opportunity with the book it is definitely it's that was the beautiful. direction when thank you and definitely those photos are cool my are photographer you? is as passionate Amazing. as all of us uh, on the on the on the chat today she's um, out of Chicago Amazing. and yes, a, a food advocate and an advocate for the wild spaces and, oh, and awesome. to really reconnect people with nature. So I've been very, very excited um, to just get everybody's feedback and excitement for the opportunities. Mm. And again, as you had said, um, to, to look at things differently and to see things mm -hmm. with opportunity and, and hope.
in especially times and in areas now that that seem really challenging and mm -hmm. and and difficult. No, I think that's that's a really big key. We you, we can't panic. We need no, to do indeed. and move forward and and right. just get involved. And I think that's something even during COVID and the pandemic we learned being holed away in, in a home. I, I mean, we we were still traveling and stuff, but being um, so many of us sheltered in place for so long that mm. we started looking in our backyards. Oh, now mm -hmm. we're redoing our house mm -hmm. instead of selling it. Now we're, uh, all these things have changed. Work, yeah. all of that. Yep. Yep. And and I think your book ties in perfectly with that. I mean, you even teach us how to use a prickly pear. We lived in the desert. We had prickly pears <laughs> and, and we still never really knew what to do and how to do it. And now I'm like, that's it. I'm moving back to Tucson now or the high yeah. desert. I'll go either place. And and I need to go play with prickly pears and you can get them. But you, right? prickly pears were growing everywhere. And that's it actually grows across the United States. And if yes, life it gives does. you prickly, prickly pears, you just make margaritas. <laughs> yes. And, and righty then. Now you talk of my couple, language. The nopalitos. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I love I love your book. It's beautiful. And are all the recipes yours? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, the basic oh. jam recipe is pretty much straightforward, basic jam recipe. And you got roses um, in there. You got roses. I did get roses. I, you know, I, all the all the recipes really have mm. come from my direct experiences with plants and also a person and or per people that I've made made these dishes with. So from that aspect, they're you know, I, I write about what I know and mm. what I have futzed with over time. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm one of those cooks that'll just, you know, improvise and, and shape it to be what it is um, and, and add, add little nuances to it. And if, you know, my the mushrooms, the morels are out at the same time I'm making my my nettle risotto, then in go the the morels or sometimes they're shiitakes right that go in with the mm -hmm. the, the nettles but i think that um i've i've been I want really to come to lucky. your house for dinner uh, yeah. that's all i'm saying I, <laughs> you know i'm just really lucky to be able to improvise and uh, that does come from you know a mom that had a garden uh you know when we lived oh. in flint when we lived on the west side of the state you know it was really to feed uh, her family um she wasn't she was a cook out of a uh more out of necessity than you know a high hmm. a high-end chef or high you know high cuisine um but at the same time, when we had lockdown, I, I was I was really confident that I could extend my pantry for much more than, you know, than two weeks, what I had on hand. And they were, again, they were basic foodstuffs and coupled with, uh, you know, springtime and foraging. I I was lucky enough to have that in my in my my backpack. Right. And mm -hmm. I think that. Um, and not That's only cool. just to be functional, but to be delicious, right? To, I think to I think a lot of there's going to be restaurants that really use your book too, because I know chefs mm -hmm. and we know restaurants that they they're into the wild foraging part. But it's like this is this is such a resource for them. But like for people to right now, even when you look at inflation, like mm -hmm. hey, maybe I do mm -hmm. make flour from the mesquite tree. Oh, and you know what? It's probably yep. better for my immune system. Just like mm -hmm. we talk yeah. about local honey. I, before you go, I have to ask. <laughs> Queen Anne's Lace. So I've been uh -huh. photographing this across the country. And I'm enamored with this 
beautiful plant. I had no idea. It's a carrot. I didn't know. Is am I right? Is this it's a carrot? Yeah, it is wild carrot. It is wild carrot. And the tricky one it's with that one, that out of Yep, it is it is related. And the way that you can identify huh. wild carrot from slash Queen Anne's lace from poison hemlock is mm. to really observe and notice the the stem will have fine, fine coarse hairs. Mm -hmm. um, you'll have, I, I like to use the analogy, the um, the 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 queen the queen has hairy legs, oh. is, and then also with the um, with the flower umble, it appears that she has petticoats underneath. So you'll see um, you'll see bracts underneath the yeah. uh, the flower umble, mm -hmm. and it formulates this beautiful when it starts to dry this beautiful bird shape, this little nest like when it dries up. So those are a couple of tips mm -hmm. to be able to identify it. And I love Queen Anne's lace, not just does it smell um, aromatically like mm. uh, a domestic carrot? But the seeds, if mm. you catch them before they, you know, they're they're out in the wet of the fall. If you catch them just as they are are drying out, they make a wonderful culinary spice that mm. you can grind them wow. with uh, together with sea salt. Yep, and you can use it to sprinkle it onto roasted vegetables. Wow. Um, you know, incorporate mm. it into a, an herb de Provence, like spice blend to just mm. give it, get, you know, give your chicken noodle soups a nice wild uh, aromatic Dude. extra kick. I'm, I'm awesome. I, I, do you know how <laughs> seriously, and it, it is one of the most beautiful flowers. Like, it's just so beautiful. Mm. However, I, I, can, I mean, I have like a whole file of Queen Anne's lace and then I have hemlock on there too because I was unaware and yeah. then started yeah, to realize, sweet, you know, I naturalist, thank you. Yeah, yeah. and, and to, that's it. You learn. That's mm -hmm. the thing. That's what I think is so cool about this. It's just like, what's on your backyard? What can you eat? What did the ancient peoples and the ancestral peoples, indigenous peoples eat? How, you know, this is your wild lands. You know, mm -hmm. having lived in Tucson, Nancy and I would walk every morning at four in the morning. Before yeah. you know, because you especially mm -hmm. in summer, saguaros. Mm -hmm. There were oh. different parts of cactus you can use, and oh, we would so walk through, cool. and we go like, "Yeah, you could eat this." And we know this land, vacant mm. lots and stuff. No one's gonna get you know mad at you, but you know, be be. You talk about that. Ask permission, and and mm -hmm. also yeah. I think yep. plants also. There's a, I'm not gonna get woo woo, but there's a spiritual thing too, in picking plants. I learned that mm -hmm. from friends, Native American friends, in picking sage. Ask the sage, is it cool if you go to pick it, it comes off in your hand? I've, you know, done farm sits as we pet sit oh. across the country. If you wanted to pick the pepper, if the pepper just came off in your hand, it was ready. But well, if you had to take them cool. Yeah, there is a knowing. Nature wants you to harvest, not yes. in a mass harvest. They want it like animals go and browse. They eat little Forage. bits of this. And as they eat, yeah, they eat a couple of leaves and then more grow from them pruning it back. Mm. It's just renewal, you know, yeah. it's renewal of the energy. So it's, it's it better a, than pruning with shears. I'm just saying. And, it, and it's better than like mass crops of all the same thing. That's not what nature did. Nature did a sprinkling of plants who got along together. Nip and tuck. That work little nibbles. Together. They mm -hmm. work together. It is a it is a it's a mutual
absolutely. It, it, it's, it, there is a mutual um, reciprocity that, that yes. exists. Yeah. Um, again, it, it's uh, that recognition. I, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, I feel very strongly about that, you know, not mm. just from a sustainability perspective, but that we're not coming at this as a, oh, this is free stuff all over my neighborhood, rather mm -hmm. from my, my own personal point of view and, and platform is that the relationship does need to be there. So we can yeah. work in, in, um, in harmony, coexistence and have it uh, mutually beneficial for, for the plants, the ecology, um, and the broader system, as well as, as for us humans. You totally yeah. rock. Thank you for doing this, seriously, <laughs> because it is about connectivity. Everything about your book is that. It's oh. about us connecting, and, and it just, I love it. I love it, love it so much. Mm -hmm. Everyone, again, it's Lisa M. Rose. Go to burdockandrose.com. Her book is Urban Foraging, Find, Gather, and Cook 50 Wild Plants. I dare you. Go do it. <laughs> Go do it. And give me the recipes later. But she's got beautiful recipes. We're going to feature one in our upcoming Eat, Drink, and Be Merry magazine. She's going to pick it out for us. I think a nice herbal thing, hot, warm. I don't know. We're getting into okay. winter. And listen, her whole book has like a whole section. Beautiful you can winter clothes. forage. Don't think just because it's snowing, you can't get out there. She's in Michigan. She knows <laughs> snow. You know snow, and you can still get out there. And I didn't know we you know could snow. eat tree bark. <laughs> I didn't know we could too. eat tree bark until you talked about it. Like we've been in Indiana, some, not all of it, but some. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, be right. careful. Be careful what you say. We've got all the guidelines. But like we've been in India. Oh, that's the thing, Indiana, Indianapolis. We did a pet sit, and people were tapping the trees for syrup things. Yep. Absolutely. And we'd never seen that before. Talk about urban foraging right in this regular street where we're walking the dogs. Like, right in your hello. backyard. Well, that it's been happening. a pleasure. And I look forward Thank to you. coming back in the springtime and sharing mm -hmm. I, sharing with readers uh, some delicious uh, holiday theatric uh, uh, appropriate uh, recipes with, with, the, with the broader audience. I cool. like that you said theatric. I like that word too. So everyone, burdockandrose.com is the website. We want to thank our sponsor, Margaret Carrera, fine art uh, photographer. We do our nature connection shows with her every month. So keep up with that at bigblendradio.com. But also her art, go to carrerafineartgallery.com. It's all about the environment. And uh, we're doing what we can mm -hmm. to mitigate climate change. Let's all get together and work together yeah. on that. So keep up with her at carrerafineartgallery.com and bigblendradio.com. Thank you so much, Lisa. Take care. Thank you. Have a great afternoon, and I'll talk to you both soon. Cool.